Can you stand with me before we worship today? I don't know uh, what weeks y'all have had. Last week, Margo started us off by saying, like, anybody else had a day? And sometimes I feel like I have upgraded from a day to a week, a month, a year, a, a decade. It's, it's been a while. <laughs> and I don't know what your week was like, but I walked into a week uh, this past week. Um, and honestly, like, my heart, my spirit, like, nothing was in the right place. It wasn't that the week was actually anything bad with it, but I was going into it assuming that the other shoe would fall that everything wasn't going to work out the way. I was just going to be stressed. And at the end, nothing wrong with God. He was just going to have to give me wisdom to clean up the mess or to, you know, comfort me and counsel me in the midst of that. And God, like, full-on stopped me. was like, I'm sorry. Did I say that I was only going to be a comforter and counselor when everything goes wrong? Or did I say I was going to intervene before it ever got to that point? Like, you're counting me out of the fight before there ever was a fight. And so I know that each of us in this room today, we have fights, we have struggles, there are battles and wars that we are facing externally and internally. And we're singing about a God today in the midst of this that should be praised because of all the battles that he's won and the storms that he's calmed. And so many times we don't even give him the chance to prove that he still is that God. We can look at him historically and say, you were, but sometimes we need God to prove that he still is that for us, for not just for our own sake, but for the sake of people around us. Because when God shows up, whether it is in the major or in the mundane things in our lives, it shows people who have no hope of there being something more in this life that there is a God that is working, working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I want all of us today, as we're beginning to sing this, as we're beginning to proclaim a God who is everything that he has said he is in his word, to remember not only who he is, but who he is today, who he is right now, who he is for our world, for ourselves, for our generation, for our communities and our families and our friends, that he is the same God that always has been and always will be. And choose to have faith, to take courage and take heart, that that God is gonna show up here, now, for every circumstance and situation that we face. So let's sing this together today. You spoke those words, let there be light, and it was all. And in that same breath, the stars fell in line, with one voice, creation cries. You do all things well, yes you do, you do all things well, so we sing, be praised, be came alive you do all things well 
Father, you are welcome. We say. 
Have 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Daddy, we say yes to you. Yes, 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 yes. Father, you have our eternal yes. Father, let that praise be the, the, the profession of our heart today. That you have our eternal yes. Yes, Lord, your will. Yes, Lord, your way. Yes, Lord, your word. Yes, Lord, your will. Yes. 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 Dad, even when we don't understand the outcome, we understand you have the outcome in the palm of your hand. Even when we don't understand the circumstance, we know that you're the king of and above the circumstance. We know there's not one giant that's more powerful than your name. Not one circumstance or situation that you can't change. Holy Spirit, I pray today that you fall afresh and anew on us today. From the inside out, we're saying yes. We're holding nothing back, Daddy. Yes, yes, we open our hearts to you, yes. We open our soul to you, yes. We open our lives for you to fill, to overflowing, that you may know our love like nothing else, God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is filled with your glory. Let our lives be part of bringing you glory. Let our praise be part of bringing you glory. Let our hearts, let our breath be part of bringing you glory. Let your kingdom come, Jesus. Father, let your will be done on earth and in our lives and in our families and in this church and in our community and in our nation and in our world as it is already established in heaven itself. May it come here for your glory, for your honor, for your will. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in the name of Jesus. And together in faith we say amen. And amen. Can we give God one shout of glory this morning just for being how awesome he is? Hallelujah. Woo. Oh. Church, I pray that is your prayer this morning.
that he has your eternal yes. There's a, that, that, that's a powerful moment when we say yes to God. When we're saying, God, it's not kind of my will, but it's your will. So there's a yes attached to it. There's a trust that has to come in that moment of surrender. But in that moment of surrender, there's something powerful. Because when we take our hands off of something, it allows his hands to be on something. And the devil's not powerful enough to remove his hands. And the circumstance you're going through isn't stronger than his grasp. And that issue is not more powerful than his authority that rests within his hands. So whatever you're going through today, can I really encourage you that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above what you can ask, hope, or think today. He, he's, it, what did we just sing? Exceedingly, abundantly, above, that more than what we hope or think. Ask or think today. God's able. Well, I hope that's the Jesus that you know, and if it's not, we want to help you get connected to him this morning because church for us isn't about a Sunday morning gathering. It's really about getting to know him in the fullness of who he is, the fact that he is passionately in love with you, and he's inviting you to passionately love him back. And so if this is your first or second time, welcome to Connect Church. We're glad that you're here. Thank you for coming, being a part of it. We hope that you feel at home here. Get connected here to one another. I want to give a shout out. Can we just shout out, give a shout out to everybody who's online this morning. We love you, whether you are, I know, recovering for surgery. We're praying for you. For those of you who are on vacation or are homesick with COVID, we love you. I know my, my girl, Pastor D, is feeling under the weather today. Baby girl, I love you. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are excited that God is a God that is outside of time and space. And that he is not only in this room with us, but he is wherever people are as they've engaged this morning. Well, we're excited that you are here. Can I just tell you, we're really thankful that you're here. We know that, truly know that there's so many other places that you could be this morning, so many other things that could grab your attention. Summer is ending. I know for some of you that's a bummer. For me, I'm saying hallelujah. Where are my summer people at? Anybody summer people? I'm sorry, I'll pray for you afterwards. Cast those demons out. Any fall people, fall people in here, hallelujah, fall, that's right. No, Pastor Ron, you had your hand up for two. I'm You're not, that's it, right. Abundant, exceedingly abundantly seasoned, man, I love it, it's good. Well, look, whatever your season is, we're really glad that you're here. Can you just take a moment before you're being seated to turn and say hi to somebody, just get to know someone, just take a moment, give them a fist pump or an air high five or whatever you feel comfortable with this morning. I'm a, I'm a fall person myself. I'm a fall person, uh, A, because it, there's not 900% humidity in New Jersey uh, in the fall. Uh, and football starts in the fall, which, amen, that's the only reason I need to be fall person. Hey, before we hop into the Word this morning, can I, I, I just want to invite you uh, into something today. I want to invite you to come back next week. I know that sounds really kind of trite, but I want to ask you to come back next week. Next week, we're actually celebrating as the last kind of week of summer here in Jersey, uh, a, family, a family service. And we're going to be praying over uh, our kids. We're going to be praying over families as they get ready to go back to school, um, just for God to continue to release 
Come on. I know that we can talk about what goes on in school. I know that what's going on in school in lots of ways makes people afraid or concerned for various reasons. But the one thing I know is this, that God is releasing children into those places with a mission to actually bring Christ into those places. To, 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 it doesn't matter their age. It doesn't matter. We, we have teachers in this room. We've got parents in this room. Uh, we have children and children's ministry and youth that's going on right now. And what I know is that they are missionaries, each and every one of them, from the youngest child to the adult to the parent. God has ordained us to be in, in community there to actually bring about a difference. And so we're going to be praying over families. We're going to be praying over kids. Uh, we, we have the TKC truck, uh, Thy Kingdom Crumb, our food, food truck ministry. It's going to be here next week, giving away free food as well. So you don't even have to have friends that have ever come to church with you. Just invite them next week. Yeah. Invite them. Invite their kids. We're going to have a, a great time. It's going to be awesome. Today, this morning, we're also going to be celebrating communion at the end of the message today. As a response to the message today. Because the message today contains in it the heartbeat of who God is and really what communion is about. And so I hope that you got a chance to pick up a communion cup uh, before you came in. If you did not, in just a minute, we'll have some team members, right before communion, we'll have some team members come around uh, to give those out. But are you ready for the word this morning? Because I am ready for, I'm, I am truly ready for the word this morning. Um, since you brought your Bible, can you open with me to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians is the fifth book, I'm sorry, it's the tenth book uh, of the New Testament. It's written by Paul. It's written to the church of Ephesus. And he's trying to encourage the church to become, fall deeper in love with God. To walk out life as a disciple. Not just to kind of have a church service, but to live out this thing called discipleship in Christ. And I believe that's what we're called to do as well. Matter of fact, if you're in Forged, which is our men's discipleship groups, we have men and women's discipleship groups that meet throughout the week. Um, women's is called Shoulder to Shoulder. Men's is called Forged. You can find out information on that on Linktree. Man, there's all sorts of QR codes all around here that you can just, uh, that, that'll take you to that site. On the offering slide, it'll take you to that site. Find out more about how to become a disciple. Can I just really encourage you about that, by the way? You don't have to know the word to get into discipleship. Matter of fact, discipleship group is about how we, learn, how we learn the word, how we can apply it to our life because, look, this thing's hard. Like, walking this thing out isn't easy in this world. So we need each other. We need to learn how to apply the word even deeper. So if you need, if you need a title for today's message, it's Fear Not. Fear Not. I think if we're probably honest with ourselves, fear's been a big topic over the last couple of years in our world, hasn't it? Fear. I mean, fear, the media tells fear, it, it generates fear, it, it produces fear. Our circumstances that are going on in the world around us, the uncertainty of them all, generates fear in our life. Then on top of that, we have natural phobias. Like, like, like I'm afraid of snakes and sharks. Now, I think that's logical. I think that is reasonable fear, right? Because I saw Jaws, man. I, you ain't getting me. I don't need a bigger boat. I'm not getting into a boat. Because right. if something can outswim you in the water and kill you, I'm not getting in. It's all right. It's good. If you've got a boat, I'll pray for you. Hallelujah. I just, there's all of that in there. Then, when we're living in this world of fear, we, 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 we have the church world telling us to stop being afraid. Right. Just to stop being afraid. 
And then we come to verses in the Bible. If you've come to verses like I do in the Bible, and like Isaiah 41, verse 10, that says, fear not. Thanks, God. Fear not. I'm with you, right? Don't be afraid. And then we realize there's hundreds of other verses in the Bible that tell us not to be afraid. So when we come to all of this in the midst of everything, how do we respond? We get to work on stop fearing. All right? I'm going to, what, how do I, what do I have to do to stop being afraid? And we say things like this, faith over fear. Or faith conquers all fear. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about that in a moment. That's not what the Word says. That's really good preacher talk, but it's not what the Bible says. The problem is when we start addressing fear like that, what we end up doing is when fear comes, the first thing that happens is we get guilty that we're afraid. Then we realize we shouldn't be afraid, right? Because the Word tells us we should not be afraid. And then we try to will ourselves into convincing ourselves that we're not afraid. First, let me just say this. Fear as an emotion is natural. Fear as an emotion is natural. All of us are afraid of things. It's not, the issue is not feeling afraid. It's rather what do we do with fear when we are afraid? What do we do with our fear when we are afraid? Because it's an emotion. And you've heard me say this from the beginning of church, if you've been here, that emotions are great servants, but they're horrible masters. They're great, so they, so they serve us well. But when they run our life, that's when we get into trouble. The truth is that when God says fear not, it's because he follows it up with, because I'm with you. Fear not because I am with you. It's not the presence of fear that is the issue. It's who do we go to when we are afraid? Is God's presence, where is God's presence in priority to its presence in our life? That really is the issue. Because the real issue, if we're honest with ourselves about fear, that is so debilitating to you and I, is that it is difficult to wholeheartedly love something or someone that you are secretly afraid of. I'm going to say that again because it's such the reality of life. It is, wholeheart it is difficult to wholeheartedly love someone that we secretly fear. We see it in marriages all the time. One spouse is secretly afraid of the other spouse, and so they just kind of don't say anything for a while, and then after, after a period of time, they explode, right? And then there's a breakdown. We see it in relationships. I'm sure many of us may have some relationships where we are secretly afraid of the other person. We're afraid of their anger. We're afraid of their rejection. We're afraid of what they'll say about us. We're afraid that they'll leave us. And so we people please for a long time uh, until we get so frustrated with not being able to be who we are that we ghost them. Because after all, we don't want to have a confrontation with them because we're afraid of them. It's why, church, it's why we can love money. Because we are not afraid of money. We are afraid of losing money. That's why we, it's hard for you and I to be wholeheartedly in love with being generous. Because we cannot wholeheartedly love someone that we're secretly afraid of. The truth is that fear can make people more obedient, but it will never make people more passionate. 
So when we are called to love God, here's where the rubber meets the road. When you and I are called to love God with everything inside of us, isn't that what Matthew twenty two thirty seven says? It's what we actually have been talking about for months now. It's, it's the greatest commission. It's what Christianity and life is all about. How do I love God with everything inside of me? So when we are called to love God with everything, and yet we are secretly afraid of Him. We are secretly have fear of him. And I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. That fear is awe. That fear is reverence. It is understanding the majesty of who God is. I'm talking about the fear that comes from our thought of his punishment, his consequences, his wrath, his rejection of us. So because of that, we constantly and continually struggle to wholeheartedly love him. See, my friends, when we feel like if someone actually knew who we really were, that they would reject us, we will never really be open with them. We'll never really be in intimate. There will always be a portion of our heart, a portion of our life, and a portion of our love that we will hold back from them out of fear. So this is why we must deal with fear in a real way because it is keeping us from really loving him with everything we've got not just being loved by him I heard someone say the other day that Christianity is all about understanding that we are loved by him that is true but the heartbeat of Christianity is actually not only knowing that we're loved by him but actually doing everything in our power to make that love known back to him this is why we deal with fear. Not because it robs us of faith. Not because it just steals our peace. Not because it just undermines our joy. We deal with fear because at the core of fear, it's keeping you and I from wholeheartedly falling in love with him. That's what religion does. And it's what religion has kept people in for years. The Bible says here in Ephesians 5, we've been talking about this in Forged. It says, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. This is who we are. We're children of God. The, and walk in love. You should underline that. As imitators of God, we walk in love. How do we walk in love? As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So there's a sacrifice of Jesus that allows us to walk in love. But fornicators and fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, no unclean person, no covetous man, which is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ God and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Some of us may be asking today, why are we reading this verse when we're talking about fear? For two reasons. First, because it actually has the answer to fear, which is the love of God. And secondly, because if we are honest today, when I read that list, some of us found ourselves on that list. And when you realize that you're on this list and wrath is attached to that list, we secretly got afraid. 
Not that we would tell anyone, but inside of ourselves, because we know ourselves, and we know we're on the list. We secretly got afraid, and we will never wholeheartedly love someone that we are secretly afraid of. And before I even go any further, before we even dive deeper into this, I love that Paul starts off with this encouragement to say, come on, we need to be imitators of God. We need to be imitators of God and walk in love like he is. That word, that Greek word for imitators is one who steps in another person's footprints. Like, like when, when I was younger, my dad's a big man, and he had lo much longer strides than I did, but I loved following my dad, so I always wanted to kind of take those long strides and step into his footprint. Even though my shoes were smaller, come on somebody, I, 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 I couldn't do what my dad could do. I couldn't do everything my dad could do, but I wanted to stride into his stride. That, that's, that's the desire that you and I get to have as men and women of faith, is that we don't have to do everything that God can do. We just have to be willing to stride in his stride. And it all starts with who God is. What is the stride? It's who God is, and God is love. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. He doesn't just love. Love is who he is. It's actually his essence. His very nature is one of love. And so you and I find ourselves today called to walk in that love, express that kind of love, and love the one who is that love. But how can we do this when you and I are secretly afraid that we are still on his list? You're on my list. Daniel and I always say, she you're on my list. And we know what being on that list means. And so it produces the worst kind of fear inside of us. Secret fear. Come on. When we began to go through that list, and that list holds things like fornication. Sounds like a big word, but that Greek word there is the Greek word pornea. It's actually where we get the word pornography from. It simply means any kind of sexual activity, sexual intimacy outside of the bounds of marriage. Before, during, it doesn't di differentiate. Then it adds uncleanliness on top of that. That's such a big term that I'm sure all of us can find ourselves in some level of uncleanliness in some way every day. Then he adds things like this, covetousness, which is almost impossible not to have functioning in our life in this Instagram world that we live in. Because we flip onto Instagram and you're like, dang, man, look at that. That's the 10th time they've been in Hawaii this year. I can't get the shop right on time. They're taking their 15th cruise. Come on. We think Instagram's awesome. Except it creates covetousness, jealousy, envy. It's easy when we go through this list, if we're honest with ourselves, to find ourselves on this list. So then, if we're on this list, it creates secret fear inside of us. We're afraid of his wrath. We're afraid of his rejection of us, of who we are. So it leaves us in a challenge as a believer because we know we're not supposed to be afraid and yet secretly, if we're honest with ourselves in this walk, we secretly at times are afraid of God's wrath and rejection. So how do we face the challenge? 
Well, here's the dilemma. The dilemma is believers attempt to overcome fear with faith. But disciples attack fear with love. In modern Christianity, over the last few decades, we have been taught about fear many times not from the wrong place, but with the wrong remedy. The remedy that we've been taught is faith. And we put things, we say things like this, that fear, we shouldn't fear because fear is false evidence appearing real. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Man, that's really good preacher talk right there. Man, you can preach a message on false evidence appearing real. And that's what we begin to believe inside of ourselves. So we begin to apply faith by saying the things I'm going through aren't real. It's false evidence. But that cancer in your body still makes it hard for you to breathe. But your heart is still broken because your spouse left. Your paycheck still doesn't make ends meet. So what is our remedy? We try our best to believe better for it. I guess I'm not believing well enough for it. I need to try to believe better for it. Because faith is what overcomes fear. Now don't get me wrong. Faith is a powerful thing. Faith is the channel by which salvation and transformation comes into my life. It's powerful. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it is by grace through faith that salvation comes into me, not by any work of myself. It can overcome obstacles in our life. Matthew 17, 20 says that just a little bit of faith can tear down a mountain. Come on. It can have a mountain move. Faith helps us to experience the impossible, to walk on water. But my friends, faith is not the antidote for fear. Faith is not the antidote for fear. Peter had faith, but he still had fear. Matthew 22, the whole walking on the water issue. Peter's faith got him to do something, step out of a boat that many of us would never even try. He got out in a storm, started walking on the water. He was walking in faith. The Bible says that when the circumstances changed, when he started to recognize the circumstances differently, he began to have fear and he sunk. It's interesting. Do you know what Jesus does? Jesus comes to him in verse 31 and says, why did you doubt? The context of that is this. Why did you doubt me? Not ambiguous doubt. Why did you doubt me? Because the beginning of this story is Peter saying, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come and I'll come. And Peter, Jesus says, come. And he begins to walk out on the words of Jesus Christ. But when his circumstances created fear inside of him, he forgot who said the words. Fear overcame him. That's why verse 33 is so powerful, because when they get back in the boat, all of them say, surely you are the Son of God. This issue was about him seeing Jesus differently and his relationship with Jesus differently than he had a moment before because of fear. It wasn't a faith issue. It's a fear issue. The truth is that faith is, often undermined, is undermined by doubt and unraveled by our uncertainty. 
it was a consistent problem for Peter. Fear. Not faith. Peter didn't have a faith issue. He had a fear issue. We can actually see it, right? We can see it in Luke chapter 22. He had fear issues that were caused by circumstances that made him wrestle with who Jesus was and who Jesus was to him. Luke 22, maybe his greatest uh, uh, moment of fear that we will all be familiar with is in the courtyard, right? Jesus has been arrested. They take him to jail. He's, in, he's going to prison. And Peter is in the courtyard around this charcoal fire. And a little servant girl says to him, I know you know him. What is Peter's response? I don't know him. I don't know him. This isn't a faith issue. If you take the context of it, he's the only one of the disciples who's still there. He's still following. Yes, it may be from a distance, and yes, it may be, uh, there, there may be from a, from a little bit of a distance away, but all the rest of them ran away when Jesus is, is arrested. He's the only one who's still following. He's not facing a faith issue. He's facing a fear issue. The breakdown is that the fear inside of him, the fear of the circumstances he was going through, interfered with how he knew Jesus in the knowing of Jesus. Our fear can interfere with how we actually see Jesus, who Jesus is and who he is to us. So let me ask the question. How does Jesus deal with Peter's fear issue? Does Jesus take him aside and teach him more about faith? Does he say, hey, Pete, Look, if you're going to get over fear, you need some more faith in your life. He doesn't, does he? John 21, verse 15 says he brings him back to the same kind of charcoal fire. That Greek word pyros there is the same word. It's the fire that was around the courtyard that day. He brings him to a charcoal fire and sits him down. And he says, Peter, let's get this straight. I love you. Do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? And if you do... Then let's walk this thing out. Jesus' remedy for fear was intimate love with him, not faith. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have faith. Do you hear what I'm talking about? I'm putting it in proper perspective. Because we're trying to attack something from the wrong plane and getting frustrated when it doesn't work. It's not that faith isn't powerful. It's that faith is powerful. It's like having a headache and you taking an antibiotic for it. When you have an infection, you take an antibiotic. You just take aspirin, ain't going to work. There's nothing wrong with faith. It's just got to be applied to the right circumstance. Jesus' remedy for fear was love. There's something in the way of our love relationship here, Peter. You're not seeing me right, and you're not being able to have intimacy from a correct place. Isn't this what Paul says when he talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13, 13? He said, now look, love's awesome, but at the end, there's only three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greater of these things is love. Love. Love is the thing that remains above everything else. 
That's why when we look at the Roman centurion in Luke chapter 7, I love this story. Because the Roman, do you remember the story of the Roman centurion? He comes to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, look, I just want you to know my servant is sick. Uh, but you don't even need to say anything. I mean, you don't even need to go. Just say a word. I know who you are. I, I got you. I know you. This is a Gentile man. This is not a man raised in the church of the day, the religious setting of the day. He just knows who Jesus is. And he says, you don't even have to show up. Just speak the word. Jesus says, I haven't even seen faith like this among my own people. This is crazy. Let's be honest. The Roman centurion did not have faith by... The Roman centurion's faith was not because he did not say that the circumstances were real. He had faith because he realized the Messiah was real. It's not in the denial, oh, that's just false. My, 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 he's not really sick. No, no, he was sick. I just know who you are. Oh, no, no, I know what I'm going through and it's real. I just know who you are and your power is more real. See, faith is not, is not what something is not. It is who someone is, who God is. And that's why it gets back to love. So the question we really have to wrestle with is really, is do I trust my faith, my amount of faith, more than God's amount of love? Do I trust my amount of faith in those circumstances to overcome it more than I trust God's amount of love? Because faith is us trying to apply something into a situation. But love is who God is in the midst of the situation. It's God's love that allows my spirit to say, man, I'm not going to fear because I know he loves me. And I can trust that love, which enables me to live out in obedience through faith in my life the things of God. Even if I don't know the outcome, I know the one who loves me and his love controls the outcome. So that's why I can actually walk out faith because I know his love. See, he, he steps, and we just stride into those steps. Our striding is faith. His stride is love. Love determines the direction. Faith gives me the ability to follow the direction. His direction is motivated by love. It's why Paul is talking about these things that bring wrath in the midst of talking about God's love. And our call to walk as children in God's love. He's saying, look what twisted love does. Look what twisted love does. It keeps us from walking in the beautiful peace of God's true love towards us. It keeps us from freely loving him back because it creates the secret fear that we are on his list. And that's what this list is. This list that we just read is a result of twisted love. Now, I know I've probably talked about this before many times in church, but there are four Greek words for love in the, in the Bible. The first one is eros. Eros is romantic, passionate love. It's where we get the word erotic from. Now, our, our, our world has messed that word up. It's had a negative connotation. But for God, but God, eros is beautiful because he put lovemaking in the bounds of marriage, which makes it a beautiful thing. 
Some married people just said amen. Then there's storge. Storge is fam- familial love, family love, love between family. Then there's philos, where we get the word Philadelphia from. The city of brotherly love. And then there is agape. Divine, unconditional love. This is love that is God. Is. It's not just what he does. It is actually who he is. And it it is manifest from his very essence. It's what you and I are called to be. Love. It's it's unconditional. It means there's, there's, there's not anything we can do to deserve it. It is, uh, it, uh, it is universal, which means it's not just towards a specific group of people, right? Not just towards good people or cleaned up people or people who aren't messed up. It's towards everyone. God's love is universal. It's also unsolicited. He loves you whether you seek it or not or ask for it. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. So when we talk about who God is, we have to recognize that while we were a sinner, when we were messed up, when we were everything that we're not supposed to be, his love was still towards us. His agape is unconditional, universal, and unsolicited. But then there's this list, the principles list, right? The offenders list, the list of guilt and shame. So why does Paul put the list in there? To identify ways in which each of these types of love can be twisted by us into selfish fulfillment rather than unconditional love towards God and others. This isn't simply a list of sins that we should stay away from, but we understand them as sins because they are not who he is. It's a twisting of the love that God has for you and I. Like fornication. Fornication is the twisting of eros. This romantic, passionate love into something that brings self-pleasure outside of God's view of intimate lovemaking, which is found within the bounds of marriage. It's anything, the twisting of that outside of those things before or adoring, that's what he's saying. But it's also the sexualization of people or things in a way that is counter to God. Which really puts us in a jam, to be honest, because uh, Jesus said, you don't even have to do it. All you need to do is entertain thoughts about somebody else. You've already done it. We're on the list. Oh, you're on the list. We're there. Then he throws in, he just adds uncleanliness just to add salt to the wound because he's just saying that's any kind of sexual immorality. It's any way that we twist romantic love for our own pleasure. And if we're going, yeah, I'm not kind of that kind of sex, I'm not that kind of person, awesome. Then he says, good. How about covetousness? Covetousness is loving something that is not ours and is someone else's. It, it actually undermines familial love and brotherly love. Because it is love of self more than love of others. Paul actually says that's idolatry. That's idolatry. Now, now, this will mess you up. This will mess you up. This will mess you up. When you think about, see, because we don't think that covetousness is really that big of a deal. Let's really be honest. We don't really believe that jealousy or envy of what somebody else has is really that big of a deal. But do you realize the Bible says it breaks two of the Ten Commandments? Two! Two! Thou shalt not covet, 
and have no other gods before me. Murder breaks one. Lying breaks one. Adultery, one. Checking out Instagram and being jealous of someone's third house down the shore breaks two. If we can't even understand the way that God sees sin, how do we even ever understand the way God sees punishment? See, the truth is we'll never unconditionally love someone, even God, when they have something we want more than we want to love them. Let me say that again. We will never unconditionally love somebody who has something that we want from them more than we want to love them. When we want to, when we want the healing more than being in love with the healer. When we, when we want the blessing more than being in love with the blesser. When we want the gift more than being in love with the giver. The result, my friends, when we find ourselves on this list is that secretly we fear judgment and wrath. And when we fear God's judgment as men and women of God, as men and women of Christ, it comes from twisted love. It is the twisting of the unconditional agape love of God by adding the conditional clause of self to it. I know that he loves me unconditionally unless, but, until, I know that, that God, I know he's forgiven me, I know he's for me, I know he wants all good things for me, unless, but, until. This is the twisting of unconditional love of God. Because when there is anything that self can do that is greater than who God is and what God can do, it is twisted love. And it's so easy to get God's love twisted. So easy. So easy. Even King David, right? A man after God's own heart. I think he got it twisted. Do you remember after he sins with Bathsheba? Come on, somebody. He's on the list. He writes this beautiful psalm in Psalm 51. In verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore a steadfast spirit in me. And I'm like, yes! Yes, that's it. When we sin, we just turn around and go, God, man, I messed up my relationship. God, I know this is screwed up stuff here, but I just want you to know, restore something in me, in my heart that's broken. Yes, it's repentance. That's beautiful. Then he writes verse 11. And don't cast me from your presence and don't take your spirit from me. Enter twisted love. That's what we're afraid of. He gives voice to what we're afraid of. That somehow I messed up so bad that God's going to kick me out of his presence. He's going to take back from me something that is important for me. But my friends, that is not the way that agape love works. It is the way human love works. It is the way selfish love works. It's the way manipulative love works. That's why it's so powerful inside of us because we have been taught that faith can manipulate God. I get it. I struggle with this. I get it. I'm just being honest. I struggle with this. I was raised with a background of fearing God's judgment all the time. Anybody? Somebody give me a woo-woo. Like, I've messed up, man. I'm not talking before. I, I know how bad I was before I got saved. I'm talking after. I know I'm guilty. 
I know I, I, I've screwed up in my life. That puts me on the list in my mind. And I hear inside the back of my head, Matthew 7, depart from me. I never knew you. Because there's still secret fear there. Until, but, unless, love me until, but, less, depart from me. I never knew you, Kyle. Fear. But then I have to go back to what that verse even says. Do you see, even in that moment, how screwed up the way that we see God is? We're so afraid that something we did will cause him to say, depart from me. But that's not even what that verse says. That verse says, look, you don't know me. You never took time to get to know me. You never surrendered your life to me. You never asked me to be Lord and Savior. Life. It does not say depart from me because you screwed up. Depart from me because you did something so bad I can't have you in my presence. Depart from me because you knew better. You did it anyway. It gets back to you. Depart from me because you don't know me. This is why we have to learn to respond like a disciple. And disciples attack fear with love. Disciples don't not have fear. They just attack fear with love. Because fear is going to come. It's going to come due to our circumstances, due to guilt, due to shame, memories that we have, all sorts of things. It will come. But 1 John 4.18 says this, there is no fear in faith. Is that what that says? There's no fear in being good people. There's no fear if you've done enough good deeds, if you've tithed enough, if you've served in children's ministry. There's no fear. The Bible says there's no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And whoever still has fear has not been perfected by the love of God that he has towards them. So the issue is, we become afraid since we have done the sin after we've come to Jesus. Since we've sinned after we've come to Jesus, that puts us back on the list. And since we're back on the list, we have judgment. There's wrath waiting for us. The issue is, you and I live in a linear world. A plus B equals C. But God doesn't live in a linear world. God lives outside of time and space. God is equally present in past, present, and future. He is equally present in those times all the time because God is outside of time and space because God created time and space and the creator cannot be bound by the creation. That's for a different day. So when he forgave our sins, he forgave them once and for all. So if A is Jesus and B is all of our sin, past, present, and future, then C doesn't even exist. This is what destroys our secret fear. This. When we understand the love of God towards us, when we understand Isaiah 53, 5, as he is actually seeing and, and prophesying about the Messiah who is to come, that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, everything that brought wrath on him was poured out for our peace, and by his stripes we are healed. 
Jesus consumed all of the wrath of God. There is no wrath left. Here's our problem. This is how we see it. This is the wrath of God ready to be poured out. And we're like, oh man, this is Kyle. Oh, oh, he said a bad word. That's a little wrath. A little bit there. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, that one? That was a big fib. That was a big fib. That takes more wrath, more wrath. That's God, not God. That's, bi- that's bigger. Come on. That, oh, no. That one right there? That was a whopper. That's definitely one of the ten. He deserves a lot more wrath there. But God doesn't even dole out wrath like that. The Word says in James 2.10 that when we break one, we're guilty of all of them. There aren't bigger and smaller ones with God. There are bigger and smaller ones when we see penance, when we are in religion, when we want to feel pious about our life. There are bigger and little. When you break one, you are guilty of all of them. But here's the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross of Calvary, is that on the cross, the Bible says, God did pour out wrath on us. We did deserve wrath, but Jesus became us, and he took the wrath on the cross. The entirety of the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus on the cross, on the cross, on the cross. Why? So that the pitcher is empty. The pitcher is empty. There is nothing left to pour out. That's why Romans 5, 8 says, how do we know that we are loved? Because how did he demonstrate it? That while we were still sinners, Jesus died for me. Verse 9 says this, since we have been justified, made just as if we didn't sin, by the blood of Jesus, how much more shall we be saved from his wrath? Hebrews 10.10 says that the high priest, who was Jesus, went into the heavenly temple, poured out his blood once and for all. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, God did not appoint you and I to suffer wrath, but appointed us for salvation in Jesus. The picture is empty. So the question is, is God telling us not to covet because there could be consequences or wrath? Or even just because it would hurt God or our relationship together? No. Certainly, when we continue in sin, it it, it robs intimacy between us and God. But the question is why? Why does he not want us to covet? Because as a parent, I didn't tell Jake not to stick his hand in a blender just because I wanted him to realize if he did, he would be really hurting my feelings. He'd be making me feel like a really bad parent if you stuck your hand in the blender. No, I knew that if he stuck his hand in the blender, it would hurt him. It would maim him. It would cause him to be unable to grasp something he was designed to grasp. That is why God is saying, don't get my agape love twisted. I know what I made you for. I know what I meant you to grasp. And he knows that covetousness makes it hard for us to grasp his unconditional love towards us and to love him back. He understands that when we see ourselves on the list, it creates fear inside of us. And so why do we fear? Because we believe in our hearts, our mess-ups will keep his goodness from us. We believe, because we've been taught by religion, that if you're good, God will bless you. 
And if you're bad, he doesn't. And so we believe that our mess-ups will keep God's goodness from us. And whatever we secretly fear, we will never wholeheartedly love. The reality, my friends, is this. We have the wrong picture of God's wrath. Yes, sin left uncovered by the blood of the Lamb, yeah, still has wrath attached to it. The wages of sin is death. If we've never actually accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives, yes, then there is wrath still attached to our lives. That's why Paul says the sons of disobedience, people who have not accepted Jesus, there's wrath still attached to that. But I need us to understand something. Jesus turned up at more tables than he turned over. We see Jesus as the God that turns tables over, flips tables over. He turned up at more tables. Yes, he ate with his disciples, and he had dinner with his friend's house, uh, like, at his friends' houses like Lazarus and Mary and Martha. But he also ate with Lazarus, the tax collector. He had more meals with Pharisees, right, who he called whitewashed tombs than we can ever count. He went to a wedding where they were drinking so much, they ran out of wine. He drank water with a woman by a well that no one wanted to be around. Why? Because his mercy triumphs over judgment. Because his love demands grace. His holiness demands grace. The cross demands grace. Mercy is that you and I not, does it, not getting what we do deserve, which is the wrath. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, which is love. And Paul is putting it here. It's why he wants us to understand that we can't get outside of the love of God. It's why two chapters earlier in Ephesians 3.18, he says it's his prayer that God's children may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and depth and length and height of the love of Jesus Christ. That is beyond what we can even grasp in our minds. So that we can understand and come to the fullness of who God is. Trusting in the love of God is the remedy for fear. Trusting in the love of God that is unconditional and universal and unsolicited is the remedy for our secret fear so the truth is that that's what we should speak when that secret fear pops up why would he show up to me because i've sinned but the picture's empty why should i believe that he'll work all things together for my good because i'm on the list the picture's empty i mean pastor if you really knew what i've done you would never believe that god would accept me you would understand that god would reject me the picture is empty. The pitcher is empty. The pitcher is empty. The pitcher is empty. Why are we afraid? Can we just be honest for a moment? If God still loved the children of Israel after they rejected the promised land, after they rejected his promise, if he still showed up every day in the Holy Spirit and led them with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, if he still brought water from the rock, if he still dropped manna every day until they walked into the problem, if God still loved them enough to do that when they were in that kind of rebellion, why are we afraid? 
How did he do it then? It's because he's the same God now that he was then. The pitcher was empty then, the pitcher is empty now. The cross, my friends, is outside of time and space. When Adam and Eve fell, God saw, the Bible says, the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. My God saw what Jesus was going to do in our linear parallel time and actually was able, was able, was able to not destroy Adam and Eve. If he could not destroy Adam and Eve because he saw the blood, if he was willing to walk, come on somebody, with the children of Israel, bring water from a rock, come on, bring manna from heaven because he saw the cross. If he was willing to forgive David when he slept with Bathsheba, because he saw the cross, if he was willing to restore the children of God who were taken by captivity by the enemy because he saw the cross. What are we afraid of? So is the real issue that we are afraid that, we have, that what we have done will remove God's love from us? Or are we really afraid of what it would mean for our lives if we really believed the pitcher was empty? And there is no reason to be afraid of a loving God. Are we really afraid that our lives messed up so much that a loving God would remove himself from us? Are we really afraid that if we believe this is empty, what that actually would do for our life? And that there's no issue, there's no excuse, there's no roadblock, there's no caveat to me having intimacy with God any longer. The pitcher is empty. The pitcher is empty. The pitcher is empty. So now we are free to love God with everything we've got. To hold nothing back. To go all in. And to fear not. The pitcher is empty. So when the devil tells you but remember what you've done. You say, all I know is what he's done. The pitcher's empty. But God couldn't love someone like you. The pitcher's empty. But you screwed it up last week. Why should God bless you? The pitcher's empty. Yeah, but you're on the list. Yeah, pitcher's empty. Pitcher's empty. Pitcher's empty. Pitcher's empty. What's holding you back? What's the excuse we have now? The pitcher's empty. We're just gonna move into communion because this is the time that we get to celebrate what we just heard. I can love God with everything because the pitcher's empty. And before we do that, I'm just going to ask you, if you didn't receive communion cup when you came in, can you just give us a wave for a moment? We have some team members around that will grab it. Just keep your hand up long enough for, for them to see really quickly. But as the team's coming around, I, I want to ask us to do something. I want us to ask us to do something. Take a moment. Is there something inside of us today that's still there, 
hindering our relationship with the love of God? Are we still afraid? Is there something blocking that in our life? Before we go any further, what might be blocking that is maybe you've never actually asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you've never asked Him to carry your sin. Maybe you had never asked Him to actually forgive you of the sin that He carried for you. We're going to do that right now. And maybe you're finding yourself far from God today. Today's the day that we have to understand that there's nothing that can stand in the way of Him loving us. But there certainly is fear that can keep us from receiving that love and loving Him back. But the picture can be empty in your life by simply asking Jesus to come in and be the Lord and Savior. So if you all would just pray with me, we're going to pray all together. But if this is you today and you're saying, man, I just really need to do business with God. I really want the picture to be empty in my life. I, I really want to give him my whole heart. The Bible says if I confess Jesus as Lord with my mouth and believe what he did for me on the cross was enough. That today, not later, today, not when I die, today, I'll be saved. Today, the wrath of God will go. I'll be set free. So if that's you, just pray it from your heart. We're all going to pray it together. But you pray it from your heart. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you my whole life. I'm holding nothing back. All that I am, all that I have, all that I ever will be, I willingly give to you. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of all my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for making me your child. Thank you, Jesus, because I know now that I am free by your blood, by your work, and I choose to live out that, I live out my life to love you with everything I've got. In Jesus' name. Before we take communion, just going to ask us to take a moment of silence inside our own self. And if there's offense that you're holding, can I ask you to repent? If there's bitterness that still is seeping in about something or someone, just take a moment to ask God to forgive you as you forgive that person. Take a moment to let the truth of what we talked about this morning sink in. Every sin you've ever done, are doing, and ever will do is covered by the blood of the Lamb. That doesn't give us the ability to do whatever we want to do. It gives us the ability to do what we could not do before, which is love God with everything we've got. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, 
Bible tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his friends together. <laughs> Remember the same friends that in just a couple hours would run away and leave him? One of them sitting at the table would betray him. The other one who was following him would deny him. And he got him around the table to break bread with them so that no matter what they faced going forward, they would remember in their mind the last picture of him with them. The last time was him loving them. And he said this. He picked up a thing of bread that was there on the table because it was Passover. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take it and eat it. And when you do, remember, 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 it's not your brokenness, it's mine. Remember that I was broken so that you could be made whole. Remember. And so my friends, I want to encourage us today to take this top piece, this wafer, that is the bread of life. Remember, he was broken so that we could be made whole. The punishment, the wrath that was poured out that was due us fell on him. And by his stripes we're healed. Father, thank you for this bread. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. Thank you for being willing to be broken so that we could be made whole. We don't deny our brokenness. We celebrate the king of wholeness today. And we thank you that you loved us enough that while we were sinners, you died in our place. Broken and battered, you took our wrath so that we could actually take your salvation. We receive that today wholeheartedly and with great love in Jesus' name. Take and eat, my friends, the bread of life brings wholeness. In like manner, after supper, Jesus took a cup filled with wine and said, this is the cup of the new covenant of, of my blood. It's for the forgiveness of your sin. Take it and drink it, and when you do, remember. Whoo! Remember, what is he saying? Remember that the pitcher's empty. Remember, God didn't overlook your sin. I took it. Remember that God didn't just overlook your wrath, overlook his judgment. His holiness poured it out on me. I'm willing to take it. And this blood will set you free. This blood is not momentary. This blood is eternal. This blood isn't just a one-time moment in the linear aspect of your life that you received it when you got saved and that was it. The blood is once and for all, all eternal. When God sees you, he sees the blood. Yeah, but I screwed up. Nope, he sees the blood. Yeah, but I'm on the list. Nope, he sees the blood. Yeah, but you don't know who I am. He sees the blood. The blood, the blood, the, oh, the blood of Jesus. Come on, my old school song. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Here's the blood. 
Jesus says this is the cup of a new covenant, a new day, a new relationship with God. Not by what you have done, but by what he has done. The blood of the lamb covers your sin. Father, thank you for this blood. Jesus, thank you that your blood covered everything past, present, and future. Thank you that the pitcher is empty. I renounce fear in my life. Not because of what I have done or can do, but by what you have already done in loving me the way you do. I love you, Jesus. And in those areas that I don't love you as much as I want to love you, help me to love you more. In Jesus' name, take and drink the cup of forgiveness of your sin. Hallelujah. Father, I pray. I praise you. I praise you, Lord God. I praise you, Jesus. I give you glory. It's about you, Jesus. This moment is about you. It's about you. It's about you. Thank you. Forgive us for pouring out. Forgive us for all the sin that you had to become, all the wretchedness that you had to feel, all the hell that you had to taste that was part because of us. God, I'm so sorry. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. Let that love break the the chains of fear, shatter religion, set us ablaze from the inside out, Lord God. Set a fire down deep in our soul that we cannot, that, that cannot be quenched and that cannot be controlled. Father, I thank you that this table doesn't just remind us of what happened 2,000 years ago, but reminds us of one that is coming, that one day you will step out on the clouds again. One day, you will put your feet back on the mountain, and you will come to take your children home, and there we will eat at the banqueting table of the Lamb forever and ever and ever without fear that that table will be flipped over. Your blood has set us free. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We give you the glory and the honor and the power and the praise in Jesus' name. Can we just give Jesus one round of can we just Can we just praise him? Can we take a moment to say thank you, Jesus? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the cross, my king. Thank you. Jesus. 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 Fear not. I'm with you, Jesus. Fear not. The pitcher's empty, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I hope this morning that you were encouraged. Because as I spoke with Pastor Danielle this week, I will tell you in my 30 some odd years of ministry, the thing that I've watched rob people of joy and intimacy with God, the thing that has caused more people either to be pious on one side and miss the boat or guilty on the other and leave the house is this one thing I will never wholeheartedly love something that I secretly fear but when 
that I can tackle that fear with the love that is universal and unconditional and unsolicited and is eternal, I get set free. May that love find its way into your heart today. That's my prayer. Pastor Rick's going to come as we get ready to close service. But just so that we can worship God with the giving of our offerings today. These are those kind of days that it doesn't, shouldn't really be difficult to take offering. Because when we consider everything he gave, <laughs> everything he was willing to take, makes it easier to give. So can you give Pastor Rick a hand as he's coming? Come on, Pastor Rick's awesome. Thank you, Pastor Kyle. Thank you so much. I don't know about you, but today I've gotten great clarity about what Pastor Kyle just shared. You know, there's always that remnant, you know, and, and I, I've never heard a message that brought such clarity to the love of God as I did today. And, you know, I, I was actually going to talk about this when I was preparing this yesterday. Sometimes I reflect often how fortunate I am, and I know you do the same about knowing the truth and how many yes. people in the world do not know the yes. truth. But this level of truth and love and understanding we had today is just an exceptional privilege to be here. And I just thank God for the word that came forth today, the way it was ministered today with the great analogies here. And it, and it literally brought me to tears today. And I just want to encourage you today that what we're doing in our giving is we're doing it in remembrance of what he did. Yes. And the remedy for not fearing about moving as a disciple into tithing, moving into generosity, is just receiving the love of Jesus Christ and not being able to fear. We're not losing anything when we give. Quite the contrary, we're investing in the kingdom. We're investing in other people to have the opportunity to be able to know what we have and what we have here today. And uh, it's a privilege. And I just want to give you a couple of ways of, uh, of giving today. First, these envelopes are all around the sanctuary with pens. You can fill them out and you can deposit these into the gold kiosks that are at the entrance of each of the doors here. And uh, if you have a smartphone, like most of you do, you can just open your camera and you can point that camera right to the QR codes that are on the screens around the sanctuary. And that'll enable you to get right to the uh, giving segment there to be able to do that. And uh, I just want to, again, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for being part of this fellowship. And uh, I don't know about you, but I feel lighter today. I really do. I feel lighter today. And it's the love of God. Let's trust him to do with this offering what he wants to do to build his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the freedom that we all sense in this room today. The freedom of not only knowing you, but knowing how much you loved us and how much you took on that cross for us, that there is no more wrath. And we give today with a greater degree of understanding, with a greater degree of purpose and love. And we ask that you bless this offering mightily and also everyone in this sanctuary today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Pastor Rick. Love you, dude. Thank you, brother. Hey, guys, can we just stand really quickly?
Thank you for being here today. Thank you for giving me time to be able to speak into your life. I pray that the Holy Spirit, and this is what I'm going to pray over us, the Holy Spirit enlightens your heart, that you and I may know the depth and the width and the length and the breadth of his love towards you. Next week, we're going to be praying for families, as we said. TKC, our mobile food truck, is going to be out there. So thankful for being able to do what we do in our, in our world to bring food to people. More importantly, the love of Jesus to people. But I'm believing that when you raise up children in the way that they should go, when they get older, they don't depart from it. And that our nation and our world can be changed. Not because someone is sitting in the White House, but because God is bringing people to His house. Power, strength, and hope lie in the house of God. Let me pray over you today. I pray you find freedom. I pray you find hope. I pray, I pray the peace of God that passes all understanding fill you to overflowing today. I pray that the eyes of our hearts may be open, Daddy. That we may know the breadth and the depth and the length and the width of your love. That it has no ending. That we can't get over it and we can't get around it and we can't get under it and our sin will never get us out of it. Lord God, I thank you that your love sets us free. Your love draws us to you. Holy Spirit, I pray that the wooing on our heart that you are bringing into our heart may draw us ever closer to the Father day by day, moment by moment, breath by breath. Fear, we relinquish you right now. We cast you out. We shatter the results of guilt and shame and hopelessness and despair and disillusionment with God in the name of Jesus. We pray that the fruit of the Spirit may just pour forth into our lives, that the resident of the Spirit, the presence of our, this Holy Spirit may be poured into us from top of our head to the bottom of our feet and that we may walk out from this place knowing that we are loved with the freedom to love you back with everything we've got and to love others from that safe place. Help us to love you with that love. And help us to love people, people who may not be like us, people who don't look like us or dress like us or live like us or act like us, but who bear the image of the King in their hearts. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do and set us free in Jesus' name. And together in faith we say amen and amen. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Thanks for being here today. I'll see you next week. See you in fours and shoulder to shoulder as well. Hallelujah.